I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Shrabilarafrabra Bionic. Okay. I didn't expect that middle name, but uh, maybe it'll make more sense at the end of the show. It will make lots of sense at the end of the show, won't it? Well, folks, it's sure good to be back with you. Um, missed being with you last week directly. We had recorded our show with Sean Bonnewell uh, a few weeks in advance for that. We hope you all enjoyed that. That was a very different kind of future quake, but then again... Future quakes by nature tend to be a little different. Yep, it's always different. Status quo. But, you just uh, never know what's going down. I have been, uh, I guess you could call, on the bed of affliction. Uh, in fact, <coughs> just talking right now makes me want to cough, so I'm glad we don't have a guest this week. Um, I have had terrible upper respiratory stuff. got some kind of bug. Uh, I've been on antibiotics uh, just this afternoon. starting to get a little bit better, but having a hard time talking and coughing a lot. So if I do mm-hmm. cough, please bear with me. Just been taking the tough ride here for a while, and uh, appreciate your patience. And uh, what's been going on with you, Brother Tom? Man, uh, doing all sorts of stuff. Got some poison ivy. Oh, you do? Yeah. Now you tell me after you've been here and been future quake Rolling around on the floor and stuff with the dog. Yeah. and It's going to be like 28 days. You're <laughs> yeah. start foaming at the mouth, and then it starts spreading here, and next Merv gets it. And it's not, it's not Ebola. It's just a little bit of poison ivy. Yeah. Um, been researching a lot on the what the image of God is. Really? Yeah, I might have to do a do a show on that here in a month or so. Hmm. Very okay. interesting stuff. But you know, my uh, the name uh, Michael means like God. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew that or not, so just thought uh, I'd let you know. I did. Yeah. Uh, anything else shaking with you? Since we've yeah. talked to our Futurians lately. No, I, I feel like it's been forever since we've done this. I know. I, I know. Feel like. You know, yeah, it's been a long time. And the world goes on. Mm-hmm. You and I have been down in the bowels of doing research and stuff. I tell you, phew, I have been so much into this preparing for this Holy War talk for mm-hmm. uh, Branson coming up, which I hope everybody's listening, you know, and if you can possibly make it, please come. Mm-hmm. I have been so immersed in that, and it's been so depressing. Uh, a lot of our listeners have been interested in the stuff I brought up earlier. <coughs> Excuse me, about the Knights of Malta. It's very interesting. And that connection to some evangelical leaders. I keep nudging you to do like a big ten-part show on it. Well, we'll, I tell you what, we'll do that. Maybe even after we get back from there. That'd be great. But um, the quotes and the things of what they have underway is so scary, and I haven't even scratched the surface here on the show. Mm -hmm. But what I've found is disturbing, and I think they're just getting ramped up. Most of the stuff... Uh, although there's some roots of it that go back even upwards of four or five years, mm-hmm. uh, the the main crux of it has been over the last year or less, hmm. and particularly 2011 is a critical year. So I look forward to talking to that here, but boy, it's just been really getting me down. It's like I don't want to hardly look at a lot of this information and other stuff. It's you know mm-hmm. I'm just burnt out seeing all of it, and uh, I don't know if other listeners. I talked to Andrew Hoffman on the email today. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. He said he gets to feel in the same way too about stuff. You feel overwhelming. Yeah, and nobody and you talk to people about it. You're like, look, this is really serious, man. And they're like, yeah. I didn't hear about it on Glenn Beck and so. Right, and these are Christian people yeah. who say that. Right, right. 
Well, there are some people who support us. I would like to mention. Oh, by the way, I'll be giving an enhanced talk on sorcery too, at uh, Branson. What chemically enhanced or what? Uh, well, we'll find You're out. You're actually going to be doing sorcery from. The podium? I may need it uh, <laughs> just to keep people at bay from the podium. But yeah, um, I'm getting some more results. <coughs> some ancient books that I have found on um, witch cults mm-hmm. and the sustainment of witch cults throughout Europe. Until yes. today, and the worship of Diana, which relates to my talk. If anybody's seen my original version of the talk, mm-hmm. that uh, there's some stuff being sustained that I think will uh, maybe have a bearing on us in the future. So anyway, mm-hmm. let, let me mention some people here who've been helping us on our show. Uh, we, we've had, uh, since we were last with you, we've had donations from Maria, uh, from Doug, uh, from uh, George and from Andrea. Mm-hmm. And um, we've also, I believe I've got that correct there. And we've also had um, um, our, our book set orders, which are still available, with um, highly mm-hmm. recommend everybody get. Um, Lies the Government Told You by Andrew Napolitano, paired with Andrew Hoffman's book, um, The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, mm-hmm. which tells the whole story about what's going on in the world. You know, everything going on in the world probably can quit hearing Future Quake. Yeah, you have it all hammered out. You got those two books. You got what's happening on the ground, what's happening in the spirit realm. And -hmm. if you go to the front of futurequake.com, you can order them there. Mm -hmm. We had Hillary uh, order and um, George. And uh, we also had um, Dean uh, order as well, too. And uh, I think that's it. Uh, I mentioned Andrea, uh, her donation as well, too. And uh, let me see if there's anybody I just missed here real quick, because I was jotting them down real quick uh, on this. And uh, let, let me just make sure I didn't forget anybody here. Yeah, I think I think we're looking good. I think we've got everybody uh, that uh, contributed to us at this time. But I had a few notes about a couple of people contributed. Well, where are the big donors? Uh, <coughs> <laughs> oh, like the big name people, yeah. like uh, Eric Prince. Yeah. Yeah, his 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 has not been rolling in as much lately. Yeah. We don't have uh, Richard Scaife. PayPal doesn't work there over in UAE. Yeah. We haven't been hating people enough. Yep. It stops that money coming. Um, I just want to mention one of our listeners, Doug Perkins, who's a Futurian supporter of our show. Mm-hmm. He mentioned uh, offhand on a website that uh, on his, on his email that he has a show he's doing a podcast. Oh, sweet! And it's called OrthoAnalytica dot org. And it's ortho, like the spray ortho, O-R-T-H-O, analytica, A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-K-A, mm-hmm. okay, dot org. Or you can go to orthoanalytica.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. And it's Christian stuff, talking Sweet. about what we're doing, so I thought I'd mention that. And somebody else I want to mention real quick, I got to talk to Brother Dean, who's a listener of our show, up in Ontario, Canada, uh, this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And he's a supporter, he contributed to our show, and... Uh, uh, in many things, he and his son Kurt listened to the show. But mm-hmm. one of the things I found out that's really cool is that um, Kurt, uh, his son, is a part of a group of young people uh, in their Bible study group at Glen Ridge Bible Church. And when he went to that church, he found out there were Futurian, Future Quake listeners there at the church. No way! And wow. the young people. And uh, so they have a little little cabal there, a little coven of future quake Futurians mm-hmm. that listen and study God's word and, and understand things. And I just want to give a call out to you all 
And uh, I want I want to just tell you to uh, keep taking the tough ride for the Lord, mm-hmm. and appreciate y'all out there. Keep spreading the word to your friends, folks at school, mm-hmm. anybody that you're around. You got a word for them, brother Tom? Man, it's good to hear those things. And what we need is you to go out there and tell more people about this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. go to your five greatest friends and go. You've got to listen to this show. Right. Go to your five greatest enemies and go. I have something that will give you all the dirt on me and get mm-hmm. them listening too. And just get everybody listening. Right. Burn copies of the show. Mm-hmm. Hand them out on the street corner. Post stuff on uh, Facebook. Post stuff anywhere like forums you're on or mm-hmm. anything like that. Chat rooms. Say, hey, what about this? Uh, you know, particularly something real provocative sort of shocks everybody. Mm-hmm. We, we call it the old proverbial grenade under the tent. You just throw it out there, drop <laughs> it, see what happens. Yeah. But I just want to want to say hey to all the folk there, our Futurian friends at uh, Glen Ridge Bible Church up in Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to tell you, if you see any kind of uh, polar nephilim up there, I want you to just give them one right across the lip. And you tell them that Ooh. came from Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate that. And it's funny you mentioned in closing of this, um, when you mentioned about sharing the word with other people, <clears throat> I was I was talking uh, uh, to Brother Dean about this. And you know what he does? He'll go places like bookstores mm-hmm. where they've got books that we've talked about on Future Quake, and mm-hmm. he'll strike up conversations with people that are Sweet. looking at those books yeah. and tell them to go to Future Quake and check it out. Mm-hmm. And he said he's gotten some people who are not believers now listening to Future Quake. Awesome. As a result. Yeah. So I I, I, I wish they I wish they quit listening to Future Quake and become a believer, but you know, I mean, if hopefully a that will come. I hopefully we're not a stumbling block, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But uh um anyway, I just want to thank him for that. I, well, we've got some we've got some really awesome listeners. I was just involved with a with a a listener friend of And by the way, he does that. I don't want to narc on him or anything. He does it because he cares about people. Yeah. And he he believes people are independent and they come to their own conclusions. We're not into coercion. He's not. We're not. We're into just letting people know about info and letting them draw their own Mm -hmm. conclusions about stuff. So he does that because he respects people. And that's what we want to do. We want to respect people. We don't want to shame them or beat them over the head. We just want to put information out there that we've come across for them to consider. Sure. Sure. We've got a lot of great listeners. I was just involved with a listener uh, of Future Quake last night who was witnessing to some people who were really, really messed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was good to see them deal with it, you know, like respectfully and like, look, dude, I'm doing this, you know, I'm not here to talk to you because I like hearing my own voice. I'm here, you know, because I love you and you're messed up and, you know, you're mm-hmm. losing guilt and shame and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was cool. No, that's cool. And I want to tell any of Dean's friends, if you're listening out there, too, we're glad to have you. If you're a truth seeker, um, you just figure out yourself whether you hear anything worthwhile here. That's true for all our futurians. And uh, give us some feedback. That's right. Go to the website, get our email address, uh, let us know what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's time for some news, buddy. Roll them, Bubba. You want to hit it? No, you hit it. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Here's one to get us in trouble. How about that? We'll start off with one that's... sweet. Something good to divide people. <laughs> Great. Uh, BBC News. Global war on drugs has failed, say former leaders. Uh, the, glo- uh, the global war on drugs, I'm sorry. You know, I think I read this article, and you go to the comment section, and there's like three people going, this is terrible, and then there's a hundred people going, 
this is the best article ever. I can't believe it. Prohibition yeah. one destroyed everything. It cost pennies to make make drugs, and the mm-hmm. only way that you can boost the price up is by making it illegal, just like it was in Prohibition. Yeah, I was I was uh, impressed with the amount of pro mm-hmm. legalization answers. It was very interesting. The word's getting out with people, and it's not just druggies that want to hopefully do some drugs. Mm-hmm. That's not the the people about the decriminalization issue. Mm-hmm. When people learn more about <clears throat> CIA intelligence agencies, how this money's laundered and done for all sorts of crimes, not just in local communities, but on a, on a global scale. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. They look at it as a whole different set of risks than the risk of somebody enjoying some pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says the global war on drugs has failed, according to a new report by a group of politicians and former world leaders. The Global Commission on Drug Policy report calls for the legalization of some drugs and an end to the criminalization of drug users. The panel includes former U.N. Secretary General Kofi Annan, the former leaders of Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil, and the entrepreneur wow. Sir Richard Branson. Richard Branson. Interesting connection. Yeah, that's an odd one. Yeah, the U.S. and Mexican governments have rejected the findings as misguided, although their prior leaders were the ones that said this was true. So mm-hmm. I guess when you're in office, you can't admit yeah, it. But when, as soon as you're out, you can. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. <coughs> yeah. Fight the hand that feeds you. you okay, know. here it goes. The Global Commission's 24-page report argues that anti-drug policy has failed by fueling organized crime, costing taxpayers millions of dollars, and causing thousands of deaths. Mm -hmm. It cites U.N. estimates that opiate use increased 35% worldwide from 1998 to 2008, cocaine by 27%, and cannabis by 8.5%. Well, it sure... Doesn't sound like winning the war on drugs, does it? Yeah, I was going to say it sure helped really iron things out. Well, we've given this approach for half a century. Yeah. Might be a time to go take a second look at it. The 19-member commission includes uh, Mexico's former president, Ernesto Zedillo, Dezio, Brazil's ex-president, Fernando Henrique Cardoso, and former Colombian president, Cesar Gaviria, <coughs> as well as the former U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman, Paul Volcker, and the current Prime Minister of Greece, George Papandreou. What? Yeah. The panel also features prominent Latin American writers, Carlos Fuentes, and Mario Vargas Losa, the EU's former foreign uh, policy chief, Javier Solana, and George Schultz, a former U.S. Secretary of State. George Schultz, huh? So these are probably not just a bunch of druggies. This is not like him and Cheech and Chong yeah, do the like, study. It's not like you open the door and it's like a 60s thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah you don't see smoke coming out of the room when they release their study. Uh, <laughs> you never know. I yeah, mean. you never know. It is a damning indictment. <clears throat> the group of world leaders, including... Former presidents of Mexico and Colombia, which are blighted by the trade and illegal drugs, say urgent changes are overdue. The reports say current policies to tackle drug abuse and the crime that preys on it are clearly not working, but result in thousands of deaths and rampant lawlessness. It calls for an end to the criminalization, marginalization, and stigmatization of people who use drugs but who do no harm to others. The leading international figures behind the report do not pull their punches. They say sensible regulation of drugs is working in some countries, but they accuse many governments around the world of pretending that the current war on drugs is effective when they know it isn't. Drugs need to be decriminalized, they say, and addicts need to be treated as patients, not villains. Mm -hmm. Political leaders and public figures should have the courage to articulate publicly what many of them acknowledge privately. 
that the evidence overwhelmingly demonstrates that repressive strategies will not solve the drug problem and that the war on drugs has not and cannot be won, the report said. Well, you know, there's a t- very telling, <coughs> yeah. there's a very telling uh, uh, quote from Hillary Clinton that appeared in a Mexican newspaper about six months ago. Somebody mm-hmm. asked her, he said, well, what do you think about the war on drugs? What about legalization? Yeah, right. goes, she goes, oh, no, 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 no. There's, there's way too much money in it. Yeah, and the the reporter didn't didn't press that. And that was kind of her pat answer. She, uh, yeah, probably a moment of candor there for her. Yeah, um, but you think about who just said this: Paul Volcker, Javier Solana, George Schultz. Those mm-hmm. are pretty big names, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of punishing users, who the report says do no harm to others, the commission argues that government should end criminalization of drug use. Experiment with legal models that would undermine organized crime syndicates and offer health and treatment services for drug users. It calls for drug policies based on methods empirically proven to reduce crime and promote economic and social development. The commission is especially critical of the U.S., saying it must abandon anti-crime approaches to drug policy and adopt strategies rooted in health care and human rights. We hope this country, the U.S., at least starts to think there are alternatives, said former Colombian President Cesar Gaviera. We don't see the U.S. evolving in a way that is comparable with our country's long-term interest. See, they don't appreciate the fact that our intelligence agencies need that money for off-the-books money to do all of their conquering yeah. of countries. Mm-hmm. They don't give credit for the importance for, for illegal drugs. You know, yeah. If we legalize, what's the CIA going to do with doing things that Congress doesn't know. They'll be out of money. It's going to be tough. How, how do we get... How know? does local law enforcement buy all that bling and stuff that they confiscate yeah. from local guys? The Office of White House Drug Czar, uh, Gil Kirklikowski, rejected the panel's recommendations. Drug addiction is a disease that can be successfully prevented and treated, said a spokesman for the Office of National Drug Control Policy. Are drugs more making drugs more available, as this report suggests? Did it say anything about making drugs more available? I didn't. I didn't catch that. Did you? No. I think that was sort of inf- they're adding that to it. Will make it harder to keep our communities healthy and safe. Doesn't seem like there's a lack of the stuff right now. In fact, they can go in in their medicine cabinet and get prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> there's a song on TV from us comedy groups. Called Let's Go to the Old Folks Home, where they go visit their elderly person and they're really not wanting to be there, but they happen to find out that there's Oxycontin in the uh, medicine cabinet, so then they make it a regular visit. They have friends there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's sad that that's probably a lot of truth in that. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. uh, The government of Mexico, where more than 34,000 people have died in drug related violence since a crackdown on the cartels began in December 2006 was also critical. Legalization would be an insufficient and inefficient step, given the international nature of the illegal drug trade, said National Security Spokesman Alejandro Poirier. Legalization won't stop organized crime nor its rivalries and violence, he said. It did a pretty good job with uh, stopping prohibition, prohibition, didn't it? Yeah. To think organized crime in Mexico means drug trafficking overlooks the crimes committed, such as kidnapping, extortion, and robbery. Guess what? It's all tied on the roots of the drug trade. So, there you go. Those are some pretty prominent people not willing to, you know, pretend otherwise. Mm-hmm. Admitting the obvious. 
Yeah. And I'm sure you're like me. You're not trying to promote anybody's drug use out no, there, right? No, I would say me neither. sure don't do that. But it, Very bad idea. It is a spiritual problem. Mm-hmm. It is a spirit. Someone who has a, something missing in their spirit turns to addictive drugs. Mm-hmm. And the government cannot fix spiritual problems. Nope. Because people will find it wherever wherever they need it. It's like you've got a big hole inside you, and you try and put all sorts of stuff in it, and some people go to drugs because it like, numbs the That's right. receptor or whatever. And people need Jesus, not a law, to fix the problem. Yep. And That's we need true. Christians who care. So we don't just want to see how many of them get thrown in jail, but we'll actually take time to counsel mm-hmm. to uh, minister to people who have these kind of needs. Indeed, sir. Well okay. said. Got something for us? Well played. Uh, yeah, this is from the Independent. It's an Irish newspaper. Irish newspaper? Yeah. Hmm. Crocky mate. Throw another shrimp on the bobby. Oh, wait, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're only off by, like, the entire other side of the globe. I know, but it was <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah, I want you to go to Ireland and do that. See what people say like, when you go hey, back. Guys, that, that Australian guy's out of his mind. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, what do you got? Um, so, anyway, from the Independent. Kids in HSE care end up working in brothels. So HSE is much like the Department of Children's Services here. Mm-hmm. Very uh, similar. Like similar human organization. Service, yeah. yeah. Um, children have been going missing from state care and ending, and ending up working as sex slaves in brothels for at least three years, leaked U.S. Embassy cables reveal. Health service executive, HS, HSE, mm-hmm. Officials made the shocking admission during a private briefing of diplomats from the American Embassy in Dublin. Details of the disclosure were contained in cables obtained by the Irish Independent through the whistleblowing organization WikiLeaks. Cables reveal how foreign-born children who went missing from HSE care had been ending up in the sex trade as far back as 2008. The disclosure was made by made to U.S. diplomats conducting research for an annual report on people trafficking in, I- in Ireland, uh, on people trafficking. Uh, according to one cable, the HSE said that some foreign children who went missing from care had been retraced to brothels, restaurants, and private households where they may have been used as domestic slaves. The missing minors were found in various towns throughout the country. Disturbingly, the unnamed HSE officials admitted statistics on the number of these children were not being maintained. A February 2009 cable detailing an HSE briefing said Gardai had located two minors, both missing from HSE care, uh, in the sex industry during the previous year. The cable, which gave a detailed assessment of Irish efforts to combat people trafficking, was forwarded to the office of U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. According to the dispatch, HSC officials believed Chinese children were at the greatest risk of being trafficked. They also claimed traffickers bringing such children to Ireland were likely to be non-nationals who preyed on their compatriots. When a child under the age of 17 arrives in Ireland without a parent or guardian, they are automatically placed in foster care or hostile facilities administered by the HSC. However, each year dozens of children go missing from the care. And uh, there are indications to say that dozens should be crossed out and should be like hundreds. Wow. Uh, it is suspected many end up in the hands of the traffickers who arranged for them to come into the country in the first place. According to the cable, Gardai indicated Texas, uh, Texas, Gardai indicated trafficking gangs were increasingly targeting Ireland due to the ease with which children could escape from HSE facilities. 
Briefings received by the embassy between 2006 and 2008 indicated there was no evidence at the time to substantiate suspicious children were being trafficked into the sex trade in Ireland. However, for the past three years, the HSE has acknowledged in briefings with American officials that trafficking of minors into the sex trade is, in fact, happening. Wow. So there you have it. And how are they getting, why are they leaving their hands in the sex trade? Uh, Well, there's... The article doesn't speak to that, and I've, I did some other reading yeah. on this, and basically they said they haven't kept accurate records, so they can't really don't they don't know how. But some people on the inside, some inner network of workers there, are having to get them out the door into this. I'm sure the HSE executives will say, "Well, that's just speculation," but I would have. How else? <laughs> yeah, how I know. else do they end up there? I know, it's ridiculous. Unless they, you know, unless somebody ran a car through the door where they kept the children and mm-hmm. kidnapped them. You know, there's a in in researching this, I found a great. I'll see if I can Sorry. find the book, but there's a lady who was working as like an aircraft mechanic or something for DynCorp, mm-hmm. and uh, she stumbled upon this massive ring of uh, uh, human trafficking being conducted by, uh, you know, people at every level of DynCorp, mm-hmm. and she got fired and had to ended up having to flee the country she was working in because they were gonna like kill her. And she wound up back here in the United States safe and then sued him for wrongful termination of a job and then wrote this book about the whole hmm. experience. Hmm. And uh, now is trying to reach out and trying to expose DynCorp. Are they just trying to say it's sour grapes? Mm, yeah, sort of. They're trying yeah. to sweep it under the rug. There's even a Wiki, uh, Wikipedia entry on it. Has she got pretty hard evidence to support? Uh, I, I haven't read her book, so okay. I don't know. But okay. uh, from... From the statements that I saw, like she seemed to be like middle to upper management hmm. type of a person, you know. Maybe not well, that's a pretty strong accusation to not have evidence. Yeah. In other words, you could put yourself some big legal problems if it was just totally fabricated. Yeah. Out of and they yet. haven't. The interesting thing is they haven't countersued her with the book coming out and stuff. So. Hmm. Interesting. Know. You know, how many have we said on the show in years past? Is it upwards of four hundred thousand or something on that league? Yeah. Of children missing a year. Uh huh. That we have no clue where they went. Yeah, yeah, and some of them go there, some of them are go other places. I mean, you know, I, God I sees all this. The thing is, we don't know. We can ignore it, pretend it's not happening, but God is watching all this while we call ourselves a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm pretty furious about it. I wish there was yeah. something I could do. You know. Well, you know, like, we've had people like Colette Bracue on our show. Yeah, I'd who be like are trying Liam, to make a difference. Be, I'd be like Liam Neeson taken if I <laughs> watch this stuff too much. Use your special skills. Yeah, take out. Elf we'll find you Ezra. and kill you. Yeah, what was it? Uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, you remind me of Liam in a lot of ways. Luck. Would you like me to share a brief story? Oh, as long as it doesn't have anything to do with eating people or anything like that. No. Okay. Um, I, again, I think I have been a one-hit wonder in recent months, and people are probably tired of hearing me about kicking religious right people and our evangelical leaders and mm-hmm. one thing after another, and they probably think I've just got a bone to pick. So I purposely at least tried to lead off with some stories that took a break from that, and this is one of those, okay? <laughs> uh, giving the right foot, giving the right foot a little break, and yeah, now getting a little traditional future quake weirdness back in, okay? Uh, this is from the Daily Grail, um, and I don't have on here what it usually they'll get stuff from like the Guardian or somewhere in the UK. Mm-hmm. This is Reagan and the extraterrestrial secret. 
Sweetness. <clears throat> says there's no shortage of conspiracy theories involving Ronald Reagan and alien life. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's this famous UN speech about how an alien threat would bring humanity together, and also the story about his personal screening of Steven Spielberg's E.T. and his alleged mention of how close to reality the story was. Spielberg recently spoke to Quint at Ain't It Cool, mainly on the topic of Jaws, but he was also asked about this latter rumor. Spielberg notes that he was actually there at the time during the screening in the White House of Mm WT, and as an eyewitness gave his thoughts on uh, Reagan's comment. Okay, Quint says, this is from their interview, he says, Now, I've heard a story that I want to run by you. I have no idea if it's true, but an effects friend of mine told me about a special <coughs> sorry about my screening of E.T. for Ronald Reagan. Have you heard this story? Hmm. Steven Spielberg says, I was there. Quint says, Whoa. The, the story I heard is that when Reagan saw it, he started talking about how close to reality it was, and he was quickly ushered out of the room. Is that true? Spielberg says, No, he wasn't ushered out of the room. He was the President of the United States. Nobody could usher Ronald Reagan out of the room. It was in the White House screening room, and Reagan got up to thank me for bringing the film to show the president, the first lady, and all of their guests, which included Sandra Day O'Connor in her first week as a justice of the Supreme Court, and it included some astronauts. I think Neil Armstrong was there. I'm not 100% certain, but it was an amazing, amazing evening. He just stood up, and he looked around the room, almost like he was doing a head count, and he said, this is Reagan saying, I wanted to thank you for bringing E.T. to the White House. We really enjoyed your movie. And then he looked around the room and said, and there were a number of people in this room who know that everything on that screen is absolutely true. And he said, and he said, and he said this without smiling. Okay, this is Spielberg still talking about it. But he said that and everybody laughed, by the way. The whole room laughed because he presented it like a joke. But he wasn't smiling as he said it. So Quint says, so do you think he actually let something slip there? And Steven Spielberg says, I don't think he let something slip there, no. I think he delivered a joke without smiling, without a little bit of a twinkle behind the joke. I think the joke landed because everybody laughed. Because, uh, And he says, because I'm a little bit of a ufologist, as Spielberg saying. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that there was something more to the joke than met my eye. I'm sorry to say that I think you were simply trying to tell a joke. Isn't that a weird, isn't that a weird joke to say, though? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what was it, Leon Panetta, who's talking about how disclosure's coming soon and everybody's going to know and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. And the Clintons were all into that Rockefeller initiative on disclosure. and. Hmm. Uh, I'm just wondering if... Uh, if, like, Neil Armstrong knew about the alien being dressed up as, like, a little kid for Halloween and, you know, liking Reese's Pieces and stuff, if that was what he was referring to, knowing that it was all true. Could be. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he just, a like... A little finger that glowed. Yeah, maybe know. they had a special weapon they were working on where the finger glowed. Could be. Could people. be. Yeah. That's but, that's when the, like, pen lights first started coming out. I'm hoping Armstrong spills the beans on what he knows before he dies. Yeah, he might because do he's it. a recluse. He acts for you know, he keeps away from the press and everything. Yeah, he might he might do it like on his deathbed or something. Maybe, but I wouldn't I wouldn't think so before. Yeah. So, yeah. well, what do you want to hear about? I thought that was a little different. It was. It was a good one. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to do sort of a quick twofer story here. Okay. Um, 
Story one. One in four U.S. hackers is an FBI informer. Okay. The FBI and U.S. Secret Service have used the threat of prison to create an army of informers among online criminals. But but yet the idea of terrorists actually being on the C- on the FBI oh, payroll gosh, is you totally outrageous. Took my took my. Oh, I'm sorry. Thunder. Oh well. Sorry. So all those other kind of diabolical people who attack, we can say are on the payroll, but yeah. terrorists, no, they yeah. can't be. Well, they were saying that there, there was an article. I didn't, I didn't bother to bring it, unfortunately, but there was an article I read where somebody in the in the United States government was quoted as saying that all options were on the now on the table, and they view uh, they view a cyber attack as an act of war. Hmm. So, if you if you mess with the FBI website and deface it, then you're in trouble. Hmm. They're going to roll tanks on you. What if you go there to use the website and you accidentally have a bug on your computer and it gets on there? Will they attack you anyway for that? Well, I mean, yeah, probably. You might wind up with special forces in your house just because you didn't know you had, hmm. you know, computer virus. Well, there's one way to remedy that. Don't go to the FBI website. Under any circumstances. Yeah, but but what if I have to go turn in people's lists of names, like people who uh, email us at Future Quake? Yeah. I just forward them on there. 647, Lom Trionic, <laughs> cleans ear with fountain pen. Do you have more of that story? 702, looks at computer screen. Yes. Um, the underground world of computer hackers has been so thoroughly infiltrated in the U.S. by the FBI and Secret Service that it is now riddled with paranoia and mistrust with an estimated one in four hackers secretly informing on their peers, a Guardian investigation has established. Cyber policing units have had such success in forcing online criminals to cooperate with their investigations through the threat of long prison sentences that they, are, they have managed to create an army of informants deep inside the hacking community. In some cases, popular illegal forms used by cyber criminals as marketplaces for stolen identities and credit card numbers have been run by hacker turncoats acting as FBI moles. In others, undercover FBI agents posing as carters, hackers specializing in ID theft, have themselves taken over the management of crime forums using the intelligence gathered to put dozens of people behind bars. So ubiquitous has the FBI informant network become that Eric Corley, who publishes the Hacker Quarterly 2600, has estimated that 25% of hackers in the U.S. may have been recruited by the federal authorities to be their eyes and ears. Owing to the harsh penalties involved and the relative inexperience with the law that many hackers have, they they are rather susceptible to intimidation. This makes for very tense relationships, said John Young, who runs Cryptome, uh, a website depository for secret documents along the lines of WikiLeaks. There are dozens and dozens of hackers who have been shopped by people uh, they thought they trusted. The best-known example of the phenomenon is Adrian Lamo, a convicted hacker who turned informant on Bradley Manning, who was suspected of passing secret documents to WikiLeaks. Manning had entered in into a prolonged instant mess conversation with Lamo, whom he trusted and asked for advice. Lamo repaid that trust by promptly handing over the 23-year-old intelligence specialist to the military authorities. Manning has now been in custody for more than a year, and uh, as far as we know, still sleeps without covers and right. in in the buff there. 
there wouldn't be so bad if there was like a skylight. You could get a little tan, you know. Uh, <clears throat> for acting as he did, Lama has earned himself this, uh, the nickname of Judas and is the world's most hated hacker, though he has insisted that he acted out of concern for those he believed would be harmed or even killed by the WikiLeaks publication of thousands of U.S. diplomatic cables. Uh, pretty lame-o excuse. Yeah. Obviously, it's been much worse for him, but it's certainly been no picnic for me. Now, that's the line. <laughs> I remember reading that earlier, thinking, wow. It's, uh, yeah. What about me? I used to have a guy that I I worked for who would always do that. We'd be on an airplane to somewhere, yeah. and he'd be like, it's time to talk about what I want. And I'd be like, holy hmm. cow. This guy's out of his mind. Um, the latest challenge for the FBI in terms of domestic U.S. breaches are the anarchistic cooperatives of hacktivists that have launched several high-profile cyber attacks in recent months designed to make a statement. Um, in the most recent case, a group calling itself Lul's, Lul's Security launched an audacious raid on the FBI's own linked organization, InfraGuard. The raid, which was blatant, was a blatant two fingers up at the agency, uh, was said to have been a response to news that the Pentagon was poised to declare foreign cyber attacks an act of war. Um, and I'll just, I mean, the article keeps mm -hmm. going. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's just another form of crime that they run. Yeah. So, like, but the thing is, is, you know, we've seen, we've seen, um, what was it, Sony got hacked today mm -hmm. or a couple of days ago? Sony got hacked. Uh, the FBI got hacked. Uh, some other major organization got hacked. If three out of four uh, yeah. hackers are, right. you know, or one out of four hackers are actually mm -hmm. working on the government payroll, I mean, come on, you know, who's who's really hacking? The hack well, themselves. Which which host of Revelations Radio Network do you figure on the FBI payroll? Frank Lordy. Frank. Lordy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you think Doctor Future? Johnny the Longshoreman? Yeah. Probably. He's not here we could pick on him. Yeah. That's they could think be. he's a plant. Yeah. You know, he's suave and sophisticated. I would picture him like a James Bond kind of guy. Paul in Texas and I think Paul in Phoenix. You think like so, Paul? Collaborating, v? yeah. Yeah. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you all want to know anybody in the future Quake universe that you recommend for uh FBI plants, just email them to us. Mm -hmm. Andrew Hoffman, Chris White. You know, any mm. kind of powerful institution on the web they're a part Robert of. Robert Hyde. Robert Hyde, yeah. <laughs> he fits the criteria. Yeah, Will Grigg. Will Grigg, yeah. So, any, anybody that you all think, if you want to nominate them for FBI plant, just mm -hmm. let us know. Because, you know, as powerful as Revelations Radio Network, you know they've got to envy the power here and want to steer it. Rockefellers are... Sleepless nights over, That's over right. the power wielded. That's right. By these two microphones. Exactly. So, anywho. Well, um, yeah, you know that actually that actually covers sort of the point I was going to make rather nicely. Okay. Was that story one of two? Yeah, but we'll just we'll just stay with one. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one is fine. I hope everybody was new. I was joking about the FBI plants. Any of the people I just mentioned. Uh, if they come out to be plants, I'll be the most shocked of anybody. So, um, <clears throat> Okay. 
This is a story called Editing Wikipedia to Make Palin Write About Paul Revere. Uh, nice. Now that is a good... Did you hear her statement about yeah, how Paul like Revere was... Yeah, ro- She didn't know what she was talking about. That he rode to go warn the British. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think she's been listening to David Barton too much, a historian. Uh, it says, uh, starting on Sunday, Sarah Palin kept explaining that her vision of Paul Revere's midnight ride was historically accurate. So she's insisting that she's right about the Brit. You know, he went to ride, warn the British, which makes sense, you know. Well, that's ridiculous. Why, we, we should actually be tar and feathering Paul Revere if that was the case, if, if he was warning the British. Uh, Palin fans emerged on Wikipedia to, quote, fix the Revere biography. Palin's taking heat for saying Revere warned the British. No problem, just add the line in italics. Okay, it says uh, Revere did not shout the phrase later attributed him the British are coming, largely because the mission depended on secrecy and the countryside was filled with British army patrols. Also, most colonial residents at the time considered themselves British as they were all legally British subjects. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, That last part, I believe, is what was added about that they were helping the British because the rebels that they were warning were technically British subjects. Even though he was writing to warn about the British, so uh That's the most I think that's the hair splitting uh award for this week. Um it says uh somebody put on there um let's see here. That's uh content not backed by reliable sources. Uh this is what somebody mentioned you know when you see this on the Wikipedia. Facts contradictory. Yeah. The, the context said uh Yeah. I would surely recommend locking this page until the Palin controversy blows over and her supporters lose interest in trying to rewrite the page to conform with their erroneous version of Revere's ride. Uh, rookie rules apply to pa- Palin fans the same as everyone else. They are free to add material to the page as long as it's reliably sourced. Uh, it does not look like Palin supporters have a published source that partially agrees with her version of events. Although the concept of relating Paul's revive to gun control or Second Amendment rights is nonsense. However, in her defense, <coughs> I think Palin herself was using it as a metaphor, not a literal interpretation of the event. In any case, Palin does not claim to be a professional historian, so her words don't belong on this page. You know, you know what's frustrating? What? I know what Paul Revere did. Yeah. You know, why does she get a pass? Well... With Christians, because where her political position is. It's so ridiculous. Now, if a Democrat said that, look out, you know, or someone on the left or whatever like that. But uh, here's the question. Christians should have a higher standard. We see scoundrels, like we've had a politician this week in the national news, mm-hmm. go through stuff, and he didn't see any kind of need to resign. Yeah. But Christians are supposed to be self-policing in what they do and their standards. So we shouldn't use the world's criteria Particularly when we go out and say, I'm a Christian, Christian values, I believe Christian thing, to knowingly try to rewrite the records. This is like Ministry of Truth stuff like in 1984, mm-hmm. where somebody would say something, they'd go back and rewrite the history to make it fit with it. That shows how dangerous things can be. And these are people who are see themselves as salt of the earth, Bible-believing Christian-type people that end up doing this kind of stuff. And the end justifies like, the means. It, they don't mind doing that. They don't mind revising history because they got to stop all those unethical non-Christians out there. And who cares if you have to bend ethics to stop all those non-ethical non-Christians? You know. That's 
So, I'm glad I live out in the middle of nowhere. You know, that's why you got to take away everybody's freedom in America to preserve our freedom. You know? And you have to kill and torture people around the world to to keep our purity of our, you know, our superior religious mm-hmm. faith. It's all it's the same kind of thinking. Um, it says, uh, the original video um, from Channel 7 really makes it look like Palin uh, got a historical question she wasn't expecting and then flubbed it. The way uh, she grits her teeth on the phrase, riding his horse through town, is agonizing exactly what happened during Paul Revere's ride. I'd struggle a bit to access my elementary school memory banks. The twist with Palin is that she has a bona fide army of supporters who will sick themselves on anyone and anything that threatens to damage her image. Um, one example, last week I looked at the new CNN poll and made a mundane point about Herman Cain's poll surge being more compelling than Palin's narrow lead. This was interpreted in the Palin verse as Exhibit A in the Stop Palin campaign. So... You know what makes it more interesting is the early stages of the political things when you've still got people like Bachman, Palin, uh, Romney, all these other ones, because they don't have one enemy to kick. They're actually duking it out against each other to see who's more righteous mm-hmm. amongst them. And uh, they'll use whatever dirty trick they have to to show their candidates more righteous than anybody else. So. Anywho... Like so ridiculous. I don't even. You know, I don't know why people get all. I don't fired need an expert it. theologian politician. I'd like to have one that's honest. Yeah. How about that? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go to church to learn my finer details about doctrine. I'd just like to have someone tell me the truth. Yeah. It's in short supply. What you got? Well, apparently North China is dying. Uh, this comes really? from the New York Times. Should I send a card? Uh, their Asia Pacific desk. Well, however okay. you want to do it. You know, uh, I think that they usually do the uh, picture with the black ribbon wrapped around the top. (laughs) (coughs) But, uh, you know, whatever, however you want to observe that. Okay. Uh, Donjinjanku, China. Say that again, please. Donjinjanku, China. Okay. China, North China is dying. A chronic drought is ravaging farmland. The Gobi Desert is inching south. The Yellow River, the so-called birthplace of Chinese civilization, is so polluted it can no longer supply drinking water. Mm. The rapid growth of megacities, 22 million people in Beijing and 12 million in Tianjin alone, have drained underground aquifers that took millenniums to fill. Not atypically, the Chinese government has a grand and expensive solution. Divert at least 6 trillion gallons of water each year, uh, hundreds of miles from the other great Chinese river, the Yangtze, uh, to slake the thirst uh, of the North China Plain and its 440 million people. The engineering feat, called the South-North Water Diversion Project, is China's most ambitious attempt to subjugate nature. Maybe one of the most efficient, Mm -hmm. one of the most uh, Mm -hmm. ambitious ever. Uh, It would be similar to channeling water from the Mississippi River to meet the drinking needs of Boston, New York, and Washington. Its $62 billion price tag is twice that of the Three Gorges Dam, which is the world's largest hydroelectric project. And not unlike that project, which Chinese, Chinese officials last month admitted had urgent problems, the water diversion scheme is increasingly mired in concerns about its cost, its environmental impact, 
and the sacrifices poor people in the provinces are told uh, to make for those in richer cities. Um, I mean, this is like, this is pretty serious. Apocalyptic. You know? Yeah. In a way. This is like. Regionally, at least. Yeah. Well, China, if you say the region of China, you know, it's like, <laughs> this is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Um, three artificial channels from the Yangtze would transport precious water from the south, which itself is increasingly afflicted by droughts. Uh, the region is suffering its worst one in 50 years. The project's human cost is staggering along the middle route, which starts here in Hubei province at a gigantic reservoir and snakes 800 miles to Beijing. About 350,000 villagers are being located, uh, relocated to make way for the canal. 350,000 people. Sorry, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Many are being resettled far from their homes and given low-grade farmland. And in Hubei... Thousands of people have been moved to the grounds of a You know, when you're prison. someone like a Ch- Chinese peasant w- throughout history, you usually don't get much good news, do you? No. In your life. I mean, during the course of it. Yeah. You know, of all the stuff I complain going on in my life, I got this cough, you know, and other... <coughs> there you go. Other kind of stuff. Being a Chinese peasant has never been one of the better lots in life to get. Yes. And it won't change anytime in the near future. Yeah. It's like, it's horrible. Uh, look at this dead yellow earth, says Li Zhaijing, uh, a hunched, uh, she's 67, a hunched woman hobbling to her new concrete home, clutching a sickle and a bundle of dry sticks for firewood. Hmm. Our old home wasn't even flooded for the project, and we were asked to leave. No one wanted to leave. About 150,000 people have been resettled by this, uh, will have been resettled by this spring. Uh, many more will follow. A recent front-page article in People's Daily, the Communist Party's mouthpiece, said the project has entered a key period of construction. Hmm. Uh, you know that whenever I read that stuff about the communist newspapers and stuff, I'm mm-hmm. reminded of a really interesting video that I saw during uh, the Great Leap Forward they tried to do in China. Right. And uh, people were starving to death, but they had there were several things, several key indicators that they thought that were um, that showed that they were in fact leafi- leaping forward. And one of them was steel production. Mm-hmm. They got to the point where they were actually having people uh, smelt steel on uh, their home, like their home ovens and stuff, to make it. And like people were starving to death. Mm-hmm. And out in the countryside and even in the big mm-hmm. cities. And I remember one Russian diplomat talked about getting up onto the roof of the embassy and looking out over the city and seeing these like hundreds and hundreds of small little fires. And it was people smelting steel like in the street because the government told them to do it mm-hmm. and gave them like a, you know, a trash bin to light on fire. Communism is the ultimate bureaucracy. Yeah. And in fact, all of the guys who are the bean counters mm-hmm. in that system, mm-hmm. if it comes from on high, that you're graded on how much steel you get, you pump out. Mm-hmm. That's what they get their promotions on. That's what they're going to have everybody do, whether it makes any sense or not. Yeah. And dare anybody question it. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. Yeah. The other side <coughs> of that is, if you questioned, you said, "Look, there's half a million people starving out there in the, in the, uh, you know, the thing. They would mm-hmm. shoot them. Right. Yep. It's horrible, ridiculous. Uh, so anyway, they've entered a key period of construction. Steel steel production has jumped 320%, in other words. 
Some Chinese scientists say the diversion could destroy the ecology of the southern rivers, making them as useless as the Yellow River. The government has neglected to do proper impact studies, they say. There are presidents in the United States. Uh, lakes in California were damaged and destroyed when the Owens River was diverted in the early 20th, in the early 20th century to build Los Angeles. Well, sure, but we're talking mm-hmm. about much smaller lakes. It's not like we're, you know, we're right. now going, now we're going to destroy the whole eastern seaboard. Right. Uh, here, more than 14 million people in Hubei would be affected if the project damaged the Han River, the tributary of the Yangtze where the middle route starts, says Du Yun, uh, a geographer at the Chinese Academy of Sciences in Wuhan. Um, and they go on and on and on. It's multiple pages, but you kind of get the drift. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. a mess. There, basically, an atmosphere of desperation is coming up in China. Yeah, we've got. At the same, I mean, we all focus on the scary part. Oh, their economic might has taken off. They own all our debt. Blah, it's going to be hard to like. And that win stuff's the, there, but they yeah. have big problems of their own. Like they can't get enough energy and coal to run their plants. Yeah, it's going to be awful hard to like win the war if you don't mm-hmm. ha- if you can't you know your soldiers don't have any water to drink. But that's what gets desperate because then they might want to take over some places to get fresh water. Yeah, and you've got to have fresh water. You yeah. need that more than oil. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that Libya sits on top of the largest aquifer in northern Africa. Yeah? Yep. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and and unsurprisingly, uh, uh, George W. Bush bought 100,000 acres in Portugal, mm-hmm. which also sits upon the world's largest uh, aquifer of fresh water. Mm-hmm. It's going to have another, another ranch like he has in Crawford. Yeah. Interesting. Would you like me to have a story? Hit it. Do you want me to avoid the one about the British royalty? No, do it, please. Are you I mean, sure? It's not like they were eating people. Oh, oh okay. wait, I gave it away. Go ahead. We always give that away. British royalty dined on human flesh. Mm. This is from the Mail Online, which is one of their major newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very interesting when you think about the superiority, as we've talked about on earlier Future Quakes about the British and then their forebears, the Americans and others, and British Empire, Commonwealth, mm-hmm. over the savages of other places that yeah, they, and they would God always wanted say, us to overcome. Well, look at them savages. They ate people. Yeah, whereas, you know, we're a Christian culture trying to, to do them well. You know what the, the what they do on their own, is like the, the royalty or leadership. Now, you know, we, we know some people that are a little bit more of a Calvinist kind of bent, reform kind of bent. Mm-hmm. And some of them will go to the extent of de- defending divine right of kings and things like that, whereas mm-hmm. they think these people should be our leaders instead of yeah, no, that's democratic stuff and that kind of thing. And I don't, know, I don't know if they totally think about who the people are. They're saying that they say, they say get divine sanction. It says, it's long been fam- <clears throat> They've long been famed for their love of lavish banquets and rich recipes. But what is less well known is that the British royals also had a taste for human flesh. A new book on medicinal cannibalism has revealed that possibly as recently as the end of the 18th century, <coughs> excuse me, British royalty swallowed parts of the human body. 1865 was the la- latest yeah, recorded date. Yeah, that's right. The author, well, that's that for we the know Germans. of. Yeah, that, that, that we, we know of. that we know of. Uh, the author adds that this is not a practice reserved for monarchs, but was widespread amongst the well-to-do in Europe. Medicinal cannibalism, both uh, 
Queen Mary II and her uncle King Charles II both took distilled human skull on their deathbeds in 1698 and 1685 respectively, according to Dr. Sug Evan, as they denounced the barbaric animals of the New World. They applied, drank, or wore powdered Egyptian mummy, human fat, flesh, bone, blood, brains, and skin. Mm. You know, I don't think we have any of that to offer in the future quake cafeteria as of right now, do we? It's time to have it's time to have some of our detractors over for dinner. I think <laughs> have them over for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Then they run out like the monsters, you know, when they always run out of the house with a fence real fast. Um, you, know, I, you know, I saw that movie. Uh, um, what was it? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where they did kind of some of that like eating people stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up uh, very near where the thing was actually actually happened. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like the the? No, wait a minute. You mean where they filmed the movie? No, or where, where the, the story actual, was based? The actual event. Where Ed Gein? Yeah. Was in Wisconsin? No, no, no. It happened in Childress, Texas. I thought. No, there was a. It's mostly based on Ed Gein in Wisconsin, but there was a, there was a story in Texarkana about a guy who attacked people, but I don't think it went that ghoulish. Um. But back to our story here, moss taken from the skulls of dead soldiers was even used as a cure for nosebleeds, according to Dr. Richard Sugg at Durham University. Dr. Sugg said, The human body has been widely used as a therapeutic agent with the most popular treatments involving flesh, bone, or blood. Um, Let's see. um, One thing we are rarely taught at school, yet is evidence in literary and historic text of the time is this. James I refused corpse medicine. Charles II made his own corpse medicine, and Charles I was made into corpse medicine. <laughs> Along with Charles II, eminent uses of prescribers, prescribers included Francis I, Elizabeth I surgeon John Bannister, Elizabeth Gray, Countess of Kent, Robert Boyle, Thomas Willis, William III, and Queen Mary. Um, let's see here. Um, whether true or not, the myth... Uh, Ignored the fact that, that I say, I'm sorry here. The, the history of medical cannibalism, Dr. Sugg argues, raises a number of important social questions. Uh, but by the way, I got an email from one of our listeners, and this is, this is for you and me both. They said it's sometimes a little hard to follow when we have long stories. Mm-hmm. So we probably need to be a little bit more aggressive in our editing. So All right. I'm sure they speak for a lot of Futurians with that. Great. Sometimes I lose interest in my own story before I'm halfway what? done. Yeah. I start to change the channel, and then I realize I'm what? sitting here. Okay, thanks. Um, it says, Medical cannibalism used the formidable weight of European science, publishing trade networks, and educated theory. While corpus medicine has sometimes been presented as a medieval therapy, it was at its height during the social and scientific revolutions of early modern Britain. It survived well into the 18th century, and amongst the poor, it lingered stubbornly on into the time of Queen Victoria. Quite apart from the question of cannibalism, the sourcing of body parts now looks highly unethical to us. In the heyday of medical cannibalism, bodies or bones were routinely taken from Egyptian tombs or European graveyards. Not only that, but some way into the 18th century, some of the biggest imports from Ireland into Britain was human skulls. Whether or not all this was worse than the modern black market in human organs is difficult to say. This painting of Charles I's execution in 1649, shows people searching forward to mop up the former king's blood. It was thought to have healing properties. 
The mm. book gives numerous vivid, often disturbing examples of the practice, ranging from the execution scaffolds of Germany and Scandinavia, through the courts and laboratories of Italy, uh, France, and Britain, to the battlefields of Holland and Ireland, and onto the tribal man-eating of the Americas. A painting showing the 1649 execution of Charles I shows people mocking up the king's blood with handkerchiefs. I was going to say, did they show up with, like, bread? Ah, uh, well, I've got more to say on this. Um, Dr. Sugg said, this was used to treat the, quote, king's evil, a complaint more usually cured by the touch of living monarchs. Over in continental Europe, where the acts fell routinely on the necks of criminals, blood was the medicine of choice for many epileptics. In Denmark, the young Hans Christian Andersen, you know, the guy that wrote all the the little stories, mm-hmm. uh, saw parents uh, getting their sick child to drink blood at the scaffold. Collected, you know, where they Yikes. killed somebody. So popular was this treatment that hangmen routinely had their assistants catch the blood in cups as it spurted from the necks of dying felons. Occasionally, a patient... Didn't it sound sophisticated? Now, this was called Christian Europe. Mm-hmm. This is how it was always determined there, Christian Europe. Occasionally, a patient might shortcut the system. At one, uh, let's see, at one early 16th century execution in Germany, a vagrant grabbed the beheaded body before it had fallen and drank the blood from him. Mm. The last recorded instance of this practice in Germany fell in 1865, which you mentioned. Um, uh, it says, uh, while James I had refused to take the human skull, his grandson Charles II liked the idea so much that he bought the recipe. I guess there's a cooking channel for human cooking back then. Um, having paid 6,000 pounds for this, he often distilled human skull himself in his private lab. Dr. Sugg said, accordingly known as, uh, before long as the King's Drops, this fluid remedy was used against epilepsy, convulsions, diseases of the head, and often as an emergency treatment for the dying. It was the very first thing which Charles reached for on February 2nd, 1685, at the start of his last illness, and was administered not only on his deathbed, but, but on that of Queen Mary. Uh, and there's a documentary coming up on that. Um, so, Sweet. I'll leave it at that. I guess it would be salty, actually, but that's okay. Um, you know... With Obamacare, that may come back. Who knows? Mm-hmm. That may be preferred treatment. You get your, I don't know uh, if they have, like, the medical codes where they write down for what that is. Get your, you know, nutrients any way you can. Well, you know, these were people who prided themselves on their knowledge of the gospel and the superiority over the savages of the earth. And well, I don't know if the royal family did, but there were some people there. Oh, they did when it served their leadership and respectability to keep people under them. Well, yeah, I suppose so. Got a story? Sure. This one's from the Wall Street Journal. Okay. This one is called Libya Lost $1.3 billion in Options Trades Done with Goldman Sachs and then was invaded. Hmm. Uh, Boy, that was a double whammy for Libya, wasn't it? Yeah. In early 2008, Libya's sovereign wealth fund controlled by Colonel Muammar Gaddafi gave $1.3 billion to Goldman Sachs Group to sink into a currency bet and other complicated trades. The investments lost 98% of their value, internal Goldman documents show. What happened next may be one of the most peculiar footnotes to the global financial crisis. In an effort to make up for the losses, Goldman offered Libya the chance to become one of its biggest shareholders, according to documents and people familiar with the matter. Why would they do that? I don't know. 
Negotiations between Goldman and the Libyan Investment Authority stretched on for months during the summer of 2009. Eventually, the talks fell apart, and nothing more was done about the lost money. An examination of the strange episode casts light on a period of several years when Goldman and other Western banks scrambled to do business with the oil-rich nation, now an international pariah because of its attacks on civilians during its current conflict. This account of Goldman's dealings with Libya is based on interviews with close to a dozen people who were involved in the matter and on Libyan Investment Authority and Goldman, doc Goldman documents. So, you know, what's going on there? Uh, are we bombing Libya to save the poor people? Don't know. Goldman's always in the center. I mean, it's, it's always, always, a, it's always like a It's like a, <clears throat> an octopus with like a big blood-sucking proboscis that's mm -hmm. like wrapped around the face of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's always like... Having human skull. Yep. Yep. I just... Oh, there goes, you know... My wealth. Um, Normally, the IMF is the one who destroys second-tier nations, right? They're the ones that usually suck all the wealth out of them. Yeah, they're. It's interesting. I can't help. It, I I kind of came to that. I've come to that conclusion mm -hmm. many years ago about the IMF. But I almost wonder if Goldman isn't some doesn't act like that in some way, shape, mm -hmm. or form for another. It's like the IMF. The IMF's. Um, kind of the same instrument, but for another group of folks. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they're sort of like the Blackwater compared to coalition forces. Hmm. They maybe. have certain things by being independent at their, at their disposal that they can do since they don't answer to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, on a side note, uh, they're saying that Lehman, Lehman Brothers, for all of its finagling and stuff and everybody mm -hmm. that was getting sued there, it turns out they're just going to have to issue a public apology. That's the that's, mm. that looks like that's going to be the final thing. No, that'll that'll fix everything. Yeah, thanks guys. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you're sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Goldman soon carved out a new business with the Libyans and options, uh, investments that give buyers the right to purchase stocks, currencies, or other assets on a future date at stipulated prices. Between January and June of 2008, the Libyan fund paid 1.3 billion for options on a basket of currencies and on six stocks. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. Right. Citigroup Incorporated, Italian Bank Unicredit, SPA, Spanish Bank Banco Santander, German insurance giant Alliance, French energy company Electricity de France, and Italian energy company N Any Spa. The fund stood to reap gains if prices on the, of the underlying stocks or currencies rose above the stipulated levels. But that fall, the credit crisis hit with a vengeance as Lehman Brothers failed and banks all over the world faced financial crises. The $1.3 billion of option investments were hit especially hard. The underlying securities plunged in value and all of the trades lost money, according to an internal Goldman memo reviewed by the journal. The memo said the investments were worth just $25.1 billion as of February 2010, a decline of 98%. Huh. Officials at the Sovereign Wealth Fund accused Goldman of misrepresenting the investment deals and making trades without proper authorization, according to people familiar with the situation. In July 2008, Mr. Zarty, the fund's deputy chairman, summoned Mr. Kabaj, Goldman's North Africa chief, to a meeting with the fund's legal and compliance staff, according to the Libyan Investment Authority emails reviewed by the journal. 
So there you mm. go. There was also a bunch of unsubstantiated stuff that I, I'd mm-hmm. love to read, but I just couldn't substantiate it. Boy, you know what? I wish we could find out about when they're doing this kind of stuff in advance so then when you you have pre-war data to know, uh-oh, these are the odds war is going to happen. Yeah, you know? that'd be cool. Because that'd be I guess one. you'd probably find out in wars there's always an economic event that just immediately precedes, you know, some economic development precedes mm-hmm. the act. Pulling the trigger on a war. Correct. Well, would you like me to share one? Sure. I, I have stood back as long as I could and didn't get back on this topic, but I'm going to go back <laughs> to it. This is too long a story. I'm just going to get through some of it. It has a news new breaking kind of thing, and then it, it summarizes a little bit some people who I thought it was a good summary, so I'll just make my judgment here how Lay far I go through it. Um, Rick Perry, you know the governor, Rick Perry of Texas. Mm-hmm. Partnering with new apostolic groups for Houston call to prayer. Wow. Okay, this is on Talk Great. to Action. <clears throat> Another politician joins forces with the apostles. Texas Governor Rick Perry is leading an event in Houston on August 6th with the, quote, apostolic and prophetic, quote, movement, including leaders from Lou Ingalls, The Call, Mike Bickles, International House of Prayer, and the American Family Association, which used to be just a conservative group but now you can't tell the difference in these they all do the same stuff together Mm -hmm. the call is a uh let's see here totally ridiculous um okay let me just skip here the international uh house of prayer is a worldwide growing movement led by bickle leader of the kansas city 24 7 prayer in an effort to raise up a generation of young young end time warriors end time Uh, warriors mm mm-hmm were those somewhere, was that like a Revelation chapter 23? It's like Joel's army cow stuff. Oh. Okay, so the event in Houston on August 6th. Now, I need to sort of re-clarify here in case people didn't know. Um, uh, Rick Perry, the governor of Texas, has been given rumblings in the press that he may step into the ring to run mm-hmm. for president. So he's not just, just doing this because he felt like doing something apostolic groups. He now realizes that they're the key to get the Republican vote. Nutty. You got to start acting real religious all of a sudden, even though you don't see this stuff from him before. Kind of nutty stuff. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The event. You know what? I'd like to see the like the little block on the screen that has all these different prophets and the new apostolic reformation and the little. The block on like Alice the the you know like on the Brady Bunch like Alice the the housekeeper could be yeah the black background and the little Uh blocks. Cindy Jacobs could be in there. Rick Joyner. Yeah. You know, uh, Jerry Boykin. Yeah. Um, it says, the event in Houston on August 6th is advertised as the response, a call to prayer for a nation in crisis. And the organizers of this event include Luis and Jill Cadaldo uh, from IHOP in Kansas City, Ray and Kelsey Bolander, Apostle Doug Stringer, Dave Silker of IHOP, leaders of the American Family Association, Jim Garlow, who headed the campaign for Proposition 8, and heads Newt Gingrich's Renew American Leadership, and several other religious right activists. Rick Perry's partnership with the Apostles and Prophets just prior to his possible announcement of a run for president would appear to give credence to the warnings of several contributors to talk to action about the growing political power of the New Apostolic Prayer Warrior Networks. The New Apostolic Reformation uh, is where uh, the anti-gay, anti-abortion, and Christian Zionist networks converge, with an aggressive form of Christian dominionism, or the belief that Christians must take over society and government. 
This network began as part of a campaign in the 1980s and 90s to evangelize the world prior to the year 2000. One of the major leaders of this was C. Peter Wagner, a 30-year professor of church growth at Fuller Theological Seminary. He left that position to continue these efforts under the banner of the New Apostolic Reformation, moving to Colorado Springs to work with Ted Haggart, another great guy. You know, he was a prophet, an apostle, but he couldn't see through Ted Haggart. That's uh, what I thought. To develop the World Prayer Center. Haggart wrote that, in, in, I mean, he'd be doing Haggart a favor if he could say, hey, I foresee that you're doing some bad stuff. You better knock it off before you get caught. But he didn't do that mm-hmm. for Ted. Um, Haggart wrote that in 1999, their outreach included 40 million participants worldwide. Since that time, leading apostles such as Dutch Sheets, Chuck Pierce, Cindy Jacobs, and others have developed a 50-state communications and mobilization network of prayer warriors. Under the leadership of Apostle Ed Savoso, head of the International Transformation Network, the prayer warrior networks in some American cities are now divided into precincts. Precincts. With, yeah. Awesome. That with, let's keep the control there. One person assigned specifically to each street, a political organizer's dream. Politicians competing for the support of this prayer warrior network Prior to the presidential primaries include Sarah Palin, who has an over 20-year relationship with the Alaskan Apostle Mary Glazier. Newt Gingrich, who was anointed by Lou Engel on an internationally televised broadcast in 2009. Michelle Bachman, Rick Santorum, and now apparently Rick Perry. The response is described on the website as an apolitical uh, prayer meeting, which has adopted the American Family Association Statement of Faith. The AFA is now described as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. That's Great. interesting. We've got. A, it seems like it's like a million and one pieces of nonsense all going on at once. You've got the Southern Poverty Law Center there. You've got yeah. politicians saying they're Christians now. It's like that old Temptation <laughs> song. <laughs> Ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. Hey, hey. Uh, <clears throat> Lou Engel is one of the inner circle of the New Apostolic Reformation. He is well known for his initiation of anti-abortion events. And which they put red tape over their mouths with the word life. That doesn't bother me. No. You know? What's it's good. That's a big deal about that. That doesn't hurt anybody. It's trying to protect the unborn. Yep. I mean, you know, I, I, I'll i make a confession to you. For my research I've been doing, I've been reading a lot of Rick Joyner stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, a lot of Rick Joyner stuff is not controversial to me. It's like no-brainer stuff. Yeah. I'm not saying it's incredibly enlightened. It's pretty pedestrian. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't disagree with all that. But it's like drinking a glass of water in which you take a little dropper full of sewage and put in it, okay? It's not all the water that's the problem, mm-hmm. okay? It doesn't matter how much water's there. It's the other part that's added that's the problem. It's like renting a house near Fukushima. Yeah. It looks okay until your yeah. eyes fall out. And Get a good deal on it, you know? Yep. Um, I think I'm going to hold off on this. I think these th- there's an excellent um, description of each of these people. That's just a very... Um, succinct kind of thing, but I think everybody gets a clue of what's going on with this. So, mm-hmm. um, John Hagee is getting involved too, as well as MC Hammer. Now, I don't know whether they're going to be doing something together or not, MC Hammer and John Hagee or not, but you can't touch this. I would pay to see that. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. But, two key points to walk from that. One, watch out for Rick Perry. Um, Rick Perry is a guy who really thinks that he's got the pulse of America. 
And the second thing is, is to learn is that when somebody gets the idea, at least on the Republican side, to go for the politics, these guys are the gatekeepers now. Yep. They are the ones who they want to get their endorsement. And uh, even more so than the last election, you know, he got Rod, who was, uh, um, he got um, Mc, McCain. He got um, Rod Parsley involved, then regretted that later. He got uh, he, uh, John Hagee, you know, as his official Christian guy to endorse him, then that mm-hmm. got him in trouble. But now it's getting more extreme. Yeah. That's why this, this election come up is going to be a barn burner. <laughs> it's going to be scary. Completely insane. And pray to, pray to God. I'm, I'm not trying to tell you. You know, I have certain people who I sort of lean toward, and I'm not going to tell you that. What I'm going to tell you is just pray that God somehow will protect the innocent, just yeah. like in the Middle East. Protect the innocent people that aren't part of this mess, mm-hmm. whether we know the right thing to do or not. Yeah. Okay, what you got? Former Egypt bank chairman arraigned on charges of assaulting made in U.S. Apparently the the invisible hand of economics got a little bit too touchy-feely. Okay. The former chairman of Egypt's Bank of Alexandria was held overnight at New York's Riker Island jail complex after being arraigned in Manhattan on charges of sexually abusing a maid at the Pierre Hotel in New York. Didn't we just have a guy get in trouble for this monetary figure? Yeah, yeah, it was... uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn. Okay. This this actually fits a lot the M.O. of what most of these guys do. Uh, uh, Francis Mitterrand, in his book, his tell-all biography called The Bad Life, actually mm-hmm. admits to going in uh, to flying to Thailand to participate in um, yeah. you know, basically having sexual relations with underage boys of like 10 through 13. And, and it's known. Yeah. It's known in France. He put it in his biography. That. I mean, it's it's there. And and they just shrug their shoulders. Oh, it's so... It's just a cry for help. It's like what we do. Yeah. Mm, well, I don't I don't know if we do that, but... Well, I mean, look at the activities of our of our um, politicians and stuff. Oh, well, certainly. We, we, mean, we yeah. like the purient interest to be able to have it on TV for ratings. Yeah. But as far as really holding them accountable, you know, sure. they don't... Sure. Well, I think if more people knew about this stuff, uh, and like the Franklin case, if everybody yeah. knew about the Franklin case, we'd have a much different voting block. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I, I would think that that's one of those well, things that people would care about. And whoever didn't go along with that, or whoever rejected them after knowing that, then we should stay away from those people, too. Oh, yeah. In other words, if it doesn't make a difference to them, then we need to stay away from those people it doesn't yeah. matter to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Even if there are religious leaders. Especially if there are religious leaders, right? I mean that if you if you're following a religious leader who goes, oh well, boys will be boys. It's like holy cow, you know. You need to Rick Joyner's. He's got Todd Bentley under his wing. He's the one trying to get him back on the stage. You know, after he he was I, middle I of I, kicking kicking old ladies in the head and the in the chest when they got cancer. Well, maybe she deserved it. Yeah. That was a, and then that find out that he's messing around on his wife right in the middle of the. The great well, anointing. God told him to. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that's all sarcasm, of course, okay. for, for you, you new listeners. I'm so yeah. jaded. I can't even <laughs> I can't even make myself laugh. Um, so anyway, Manhattan Judge uh, Gerald Lebovitz. I probably mispronounced that, but that's okay. Uh, Lebovitz. Lebovitz. Uh, around midnight last night, set bail for Mahmoud Abdel Salam Omar, Chairman of El Mex Salinas, 
at $50,000 bond or $25,000 cash, according to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Omar also was ordered to surrender his travel documents, the prosecutors said. Omar, 72, was taken overnight to Rikers Island, New York City's main jail complex located off the shore of northern Queens opposite LaGuardia Airport. Uh, Omar was arrested May 30th after a 44-year-old female housekeeper alleged he attacked her the day before, according to a police spokesman. So, um, prosecutors said Omar is 72, police previously said he's 74. Uh, According to to the lady, Omar, quote, wrapped his arms tightly around the informant's body and while holding the informant, kissed the informant's neck and lips, Detective Efrain Kurate said in a criminal complaint. Omar grabbed the maid a second time and groped her, according to the criminal complaint. Police charged Omar with sexual abuse in the first degree, sexual abuse in the third degree, and forcible touching. Uh, he allegedly asked the maid for a tele- for her telephone number, and she gave a false one before leaving the room, police said. If convicted of the top charge, he faces as long as seven years behind bars. Uh, he's going to appear in court. Uh, uh, he was going to appear in court in June 3rd. We didn't, haven't heard anything more about it. So, um, there you go. These people see themselves as untouchable. Yep. Yeah, and sometimes, so cool. sometimes they get away with it because people are like, "Oh, it's no big deal," you know. What's a little? Oh, well, you know, a lot of times feel. I get away. It's a rare occasion yeah. when they get caught, and then even then, a lot of times people get them off the, you know. Yeah. Hey, would you like me to have one little quick story to wrap up before we go to our uh, mm-hmm. uh, email? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> this is sort of a, a generic, holistic one, a good one to wrap up our specific things. Okay. Uh, writer urges internet junkies to switch off and think. I saw that one, yeah. Okay, like tens of millions of others, U.S. technology writer Nicholas Carr found the lure of the World Wide Web hard to resist until he noticed it was getting harder and harder to concentrate. Boy, I can, this is my testimony. I mean, I've got a laptop in front of me all day, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, doing this stuff, basically. Uh, he set out his concerns in a celebrated essay headline, Is Google Making Us Stupid? And his latest book, The Shallows, explores in depth what he fears the Internet is doing to our brains. The seductions of technology are hard to resist, Carr acknowledges in that book, which has sold an estimated 50,000 hardback copies in the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. But he thinks it's time to start trying. (coughs) In a speech at last week's Soul Digital Forum, in an interview with AFP, that's American Free Press, Carr restated his concerns that IT is affecting the way people think and feel, and even the physical makeup of their brains. Every technology, new technology in history, like the map and the clock, changed the way people think, but cars see special dangers in the Internet. He got his first PC back in the 1980s and was an avid net user until a few years ago. He noticed some disturbing changes in the way my mind worked. I was losing my ability to concentrate. While the Internet has enormous benefits in delivering incredible amounts of information at incredible speed, it is also a distracting and interruption-rich environment. Carr says it encourages quick shifts in focus and discourages sustained attention and the ability to think deeply and creatively about one topic and to challenge conventional wisdom. Hmm. That's that's probably the most dangerous part is that last part. Popularity-driven search engines and one of the ironies of an information-rich Internet worsen the problem by leading everyone to the same sources, he said. Now, that's somewhat true, but what is true is that they do manipulate what we get. Mm-hmm. What happens is they watch what you're looking at all day, Tom. 
They look at that or what I do, and then they will make the decisions on what we want to see based upon what else we've been looking at. So we don't get to make those decisions. They do for us. Okay. Hmm. Um, Social networks, while pleasurable and fun, increase distractedness by bombarding users with brief bits of information. We take in so much information so quickly that we're in a constant state of cognitive overload, Carr argued. Multitasking erodes cognitive control. We lose our ability to say that this is important, this is unimportant. All we want is new information. In contrast, when readers open a printed book, there's nothing else going on except words on the page, no distractions. It helps train us to be deep thinkers. Carr, 52, told AFP, he's not optimistic society will switch off in in mass, but it's important to look clearly at what it might be losing. And he doesn't feel quite so lonely now that some other authors and TV program makers have tackled the same subject. There are signs, still sporadic and small, that people are beginning to question the effects of technology. Since the book came out, he said, he's heard from several companies struggling with otherwise intelligent employees who are unable to focus and concentrate on problem solving. Carr admitted he himself has not had great success in limiting the time he spends online. Excuse me. That crack. <coughs> yeah, but but the you know, it's hard to keep up with the rest of humanity mm-hmm. if you're not keeping up with the information they have. But the biggest change he made as a writer and researcher was to use the web only to track down source material. So in other words, he's defined the material, and then I guess he looks at the material offline. Mm. Uh, then I'd make an effort to actually read those things in print. I did find that that made a big difference in my ability to be an attentive and a thorough reader and hopefully a deeper deeper thinker. But Carr said it was not just a matter of individual choice. If friends, colleagues, and employers were constantly online, then you feel in many ways compelled to do so even if you don't want to because you don't want to damage your career or your social life. That's sort of what I was getting at. Um, The author said that he had no simple formula for change, but companies could start sending a signal that it's okay to be disconnected sometimes. It's okay if you don't respond to every email within 45 seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Employers, governments, and schools could also start rewarding and encouraging people to switch off. But Carr said there's little evidence so far of pressure for change. I think as a society we're choosing at the information overload. We're choosing to sacrifice the more meditative and contemplative aspects of our minds. Hmm. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. And that's yeah, probably so people have a hard time trying to understand the Bible. In that way, when you're yeah, sure, Everything's context coming goes completely out of the window, man. Yeah, uh, I've noticed uh, myself. I, I do a lot of listening to the Bible at work while I'm doing something, and headphones yeah. on. Yeah, and uh, it gives you a whole different perspective on context. Really? You know? Yeah. You find you're like, oh, so, so that's what that means. Hmm. Maybe the fact that this was written here has something to do with the fact that. So doing work and then listening to it doesn't hurt. Yeah, I'm a. I, it's not like I do hard work. Okay. Brain hard work, you know. Okay. I do incredibly hard physical labor, but yeah. Know. Yeah. Well, can we go into some email? Sure. I just want to read a headline here that, okay. that came across my desk. Citizen sues Atlanta Fed based on allegation that it's issuing Federal Reserve notes that it has no intention of redeeming, which amounts to counterfeiting. Hmm. That's an interesting. They sued the Atlanta Federal Reserve? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that will make it to court. I don't know. I just saw the headline. Let me share some emails here. And by the way, just a final comment on that last story. I'd recommend people turn off all of your uh, 
internet-based audio as well. All podcasts and stuff like that. Get that stuff out and away from you. <laughs> and nothing redeeming for you with that. <clears throat> this is uh, an email. Um, uh, and I'm not going to mention the name of the person here. Um, it says, um, Christopher Knowles, not just artists, but business as well. It says, um, hello, um, hello, Dr. Future and Tom. I was recently listening to your interview with Christopher Knowles about the similarities between rock music and mystery religions. Mm -hmm. It brought to mind a Christmas card I received from Century Media. If you're not familiar with Century Media, this heavy metal uh, music production company owns a handful of record labels, such as Nuclear Blast Records and Century Media Records. This label group is known for releasing albums in the death metal, pagan metal, Celtic metal, and black metal subgenres, and is home to such openly satanic bands as Decide, amongst others. I had received this card due to some writing I did for a webzine which covered some Century Media releases. I've always wondered how, <clears throat> how much of the evil personas taken on by bands could be attributed to marketing and how much was real. If marketing is the case, this flows through the entire organization. You know, not just the bands. We usually focus yeah. on the bands. The card I received, including signatures of Century Media staff, many individuals added such decoration as upside-down crosses, 666s, and pentagrams to their signature. I'm glad I don't get those a lot from the future Quake listeners, you know, when they send stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, one rep from the company whom I once corresponded with to set up an interview with a band including in his email signature an advertisement for the Zeitgeist movie series. It is clear that not only are the artists working for Century Media forwarding dark spirituality, but those who work behind the scenes. In a strange turn of events, Century Media announced the creation of a Christian music arm called Ain't No Grave Records in January. An article dealing with this may be found on they give a website. <clears throat> I spent several years in Christian bands trying to spread the gospel to anyone who would listen. I'm not quick to call into question the devotion of those who serve God through playing modern music, but I'm curious what kind of impact working under leadership with a cult or satanic leanings may have on a ministry. While I hope the Christian musicians signed to this label can be lights in the darkness, I'm curious if one can remain true to godly vision while the devil holds your paycheck. Hmm. So what are your thoughts on that, Mr. Musician? Uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, he was in a Christian band trying to, you know, spread the gospel yeah. and recognized all this stuff. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that true? They always usually Christian ministries focus on the bands as being the, the source for all this evilness. Well, yeah. it could be institutional oh, in the record. It's totally institutional. These other bands burn out, I mean, come and go. They go, throw, go, get rid of them. Yeah, I, you know, uh, you totally. It's always, yeah. it, you know, there's there's <clears throat> a there's a thing in the in the in the music industry that you just know that everybody's a creep. You yeah. know, everybody who gets even slightly ahead is probably a creep. Yeah. And uh, that's why he got ahead. You know, he was able to step on enough necks to get right two steps in like front politics. Of yeah. Um, I hate to interrupt the string of emails here. Yes, but, you are. Uh, U.S. Here's a here's one from Yahoo News. U.S. prosecutors uh, say that uh, uh, Indiana child pornographer is part of a global ring. Yeah, I had that for a story. I didn't read it. That was that's been out for. Oh, has it been out for? Yeah. Okay. Do you but know I where, saw that. Do you know where they were? Bloomington. Yeah. The home of um, Alfred Kinsey. Alfred Kinsey. Yep. Talk about a town that's got a cloud over it. Yeah, no kidding. It must help facilitate Talk about a lot of... Spirits. I thought the same thing when I saw that. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
Well, let's hear from uh, brother brother Ryan here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know if I've shared this one or not. This talking about sorry, I'm leaving Future Quake. Have I shared this one last time? No. I... He said, I just wanted to let you know after a year of listening, I have unsubscribed to Future Quake. I kind of swore I wrote, read this one. I appreciate your format change to weekly broadcast, but the lack of interviews uh, have left your broadcast lacking much informative information. Yeah. Given the choice, I think I now think my time is better spent listening to people preaching directly from the Bible. Uh, I appreciate your, well, if they're really preaching the Bible. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate your work and have found that you provide much useful information. For a season, there was much value in your broadcast. Unfortunately, I feel you are straying from your purpose. Instead of encouraging brothers and sisters in the faith, you're focusing too much on conspiracies and extraordinary conjecture. There is so much going on now with Israel, Libya, that I'm surprised at some of your topics. The two that were the final straw was the attack on the pharmaceutical sector and the attack on the individual that appeared on James Dobson. I have worked in the farm sector almost my entire career, and I can honestly tell you there are thousands of honest Christian men and women that work in these companies. There may be some isolated situations where top-level people have made unethical decisions, uh, but the notion that there is an unethical agenda to slant studies is a little far-fetched. The purpose of the R&D groups is to prove the efficacy of the products and use statistics to do such. I felt that your broadcast went, went well beyond balance and simply chose to attack an entire industry based on one individual's analysis of studies. The final straw was the attack on James Dobson and his guest. I certainly don't agree with everything anyone says, and I was disapp- but I was disappointed at what little respect your group has for Dr. Dobson. He's not perfect, but I think he offers an excellent program, and he's a good man. Maybe one of his guests is a little over the top, but to dedicate that much time attacking an individual's reputation to me is unfounded. Where is the love? I thank you for your dedication to Christ and your desire to better inform and equip the saints. I just fear your show is losing its focus. We should be focusing on coming of our Savior and the signs of his return. We should be shrewd as serpents, understanding Satan's plan, but gentle as doves. I'd recommend listening to Chuck Missler's Strategic Perspectives Conference for direction. Ironically, where I found out about your podcast, but then again, you attacked Waleed Shabbat, one of his speakers, too. Wow, you really have issues with everyone. Are you going to respond to that or just let it let it fly? You want to say anything? I mean, we just obviously, I, I don't know what, well. But it was I that don't know pharmaceutical I mean, thing. I like lost them. I mean, we've been on for seven reading. years, and I thought we were doing some good stuff. But, what, you know, the pharmaceutical sector, that's where you get to the pinnacle of, uh, of virtue there. And if you say yeah. anything that might not be going right in that institution. Bare aspirin. Then that totally uh, yep. nullifies any kind of thing that we may have done Christian. Yeah. Well, we just obviously really, really don't see eye to eye. There's a huge well, gulf between our that listener. To, and, to and mention myself. their early beginning, we talked about how we don't have guests every week. Uh, um, blame me for why we don't have guests every week because I simply could not keep up with reading some kind of really really in depth book every week mm-hmm. and going through and coming up with try to thought provoking questions and get them all booked, mm-hmm. get them arranged, edited, and do anything. Right now, it's still like this is my whole life is Future Quake. I couldn't keep it up. Yeah. So we do it once a month. At the same time, we weren't covering a lot of news that wasn't covered with stuff. Most people have said they really like the way we do it now, mm-hmm. where we have them once a month and then cover the news elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm guilty as charged uh, on that. If that causes me to not be of any kind of yeah. utility. Here's a um, here's a citation from uh, 
hemophilia uh, hemophilia litigation.com uh, after 1978 there were four major companies in the United States engaged in the manufacture production and sale of factor 8 and 9 Armour Pharmaceutical Company Bayer Corporation and its Cutter Biological Division Baxter Healthcare and its Highland Pharmaceutical Division and Alpha Therapeutic Corporation which have been or are defendants in certain lawsuits. The plaintiffs allege that the companies manufactured and sold blood factor products as beneficial, quote, medicines, unquote, that were in fact of like, in fact of likely to be contaminated with HIV. This resulted in the mass infection and or death of thousands and thousands of hemophiliacs worldwide. worldwide. And that's 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 part mm-hmm. of litigation. That's part of the litigation mm-hmm. uh, ongoing with these people as of 2000. You shouldn't even be mentioning that stuff, because the pharmaceutical people are good people. You that should be stricken from the record. We should censor that information, and it, yep. people shouldn't even be made aware of it. I'm sorry, Ryan. I'm sorry. We, sorry, we lost you on that. I'm sorry about the Dr. Dobson stuff, but I fear people should know that you know the main funders of groups like that are guys like Eric Prince of Blackwater. Sure. Um, that he has guys like uh, Jerry Boykin on, uh, exaggerating the Sharia law threat, uh, talking this thing about, well, we got to get soldiers together, start attacking people and stuff. You know, <clears throat> when this stuff comes on, I don't know. I think somebody ought to be out there saying it if nobody is. So. Yep. Okay, let's move on. Brother Josh here. Um, Brother Josh gives some feedback on our intercessory prayer event we did at the National Religious mm-hmm. Broadcasters meeting. He says, Dr. Future, uh, Josh says, I think the intercessory prayer was a great idea. I was able to listen to it after the fact on the Tim and Mike show. Bravo. I'm beginning to think that God is doing something special through the alternative Christian media, uh, except for the pharmaceutical. <laughs> except for the pharmaceutical yeah. industry. And real dependence upon him will be the key to the true mo- a true move of God. A while back, I had written you about the fact that I had written Brandon House and encouraged him to take a look at Chris Pinto's Hidden Faith of Founding Fathers. Now, he sent this email before Brandon was on our show, by the way. Fat City. It seems that many others also encouraged him to watch a documentary and even sent him the DVD as well. As you probably already know, he had Chris on the other day, and I think he had a very good interview. I hope many of Brandon's listeners will be better equipped to keep the gospel first and foremost and not to compromise to make common cause against those who may seem to be on our side on many issues, but nevertheless were against the gospel. Hmm. And uh, he he also added later on, he says, thanks for all the hard work you put in the interviews. Even if they are just once a month. <laughs> Liar! Okay. <laughs> now, I think, thanks, he, I think he meant it. Yeah, no, okay. no, thank you. Um, okay, let me... Let me uh, Wrap up. I'm I'm trying to play some catch up. We're way behind on our history uh, now, so we got to do, there, there we gotta do like a special show just where we read emails. <coughs> well, this is some feedback from yeah, it would be a neat show yeah. uh, to even to catch us up. Um, this is Brother Nathan who is in uh, y- Yamaga, Japan. Okay, wow. he gives some feedback right after the earthquake tsunami. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and he's been listening for a long time and very supportive of us. Uh, he says, greeting, dear brothers, Dr. Future and Tom Bionic, greetings from Japan. Thank you always for your thoughtful and thought-provoking shows. You have both been a blessing to me and someone indirectly, my wife and children. In the past, I really have had a critical attitude toward the idea of online fellowship. But through your shows and other shows on RRN, I've come to recognize that the community is real. 
Though divided by hmm. physical location, we are not a house divided. We are one in Christ Jesus. In our prayers, prayed in agreement with the will of God, uh, affect change beyond what we now realize. In the past year and a half of your shows, along with the other shows and websites hosted by like-minded brothers and sisters, have really shaken my worldview. Praise God. A pastor friend of mine often quoted one of his theology professors. If you aren't confused, you probably aren't growing. Thank you for faithfully painting outside the man-made lines and crossing lines that should not even be recognized as such by followers of Christ. Thank you for all the times that I've been able to experience another future quake. Sweet. In the past 72 hours, and this is just right after the earthquake tsunami, okay? Mm -hmm. The country that I've called home for 10 years has been shaken in so many more ways than I can begin to describe. And it's because of this that I would like to call you and your many listeners to pray for the people of Japan. No doubt so many people already have. And and we'll do that at the end of our show here, okay? Mm -hmm. We'll do that. Uh, although I live perhaps a thousand kilometers to the southwest of the epicenter of the magnitude 9 quake, I know people who in all likelihood have lost friends and loved ones. Yesterday, a friend of the family, a woman whose heart was already beginning to be softened to the gospel, came to our fellowship, sharing with us that her mother, sister, sister's family, and many friends lived in Takajo, one of the towns hit by the 10-meter tsunamis. Mm. Our friend had received a phone call just after the quake from her sister, saying that she and her family were safe, but they needed to evacuate because of the tsunami warning. Since then, our friend hasn't heard any news of anyone's whereabouts. The news footage shows the aftermath of Takajo. The town was basically wiped from existence and huge natural gas fires were burning from a coastal petroleum storage facility. Hmm. Many Western Christians may feel that this disaster may only harden the hearts of the people of Japan, but I believe, at least for a season, that hearts will become softer rather than, for, uh, than ever. Please consider the reaction of the Japanese people, a great sadness but also a calm acceptance of the frailty of human life. I believe the atmosphere of grief and mourning, though painful and unhappy, is a beautiful chance for true believers in Japan to shine the light of the gospel. The area that was awesome. yeah the area that was first shown on the news Sendai, a town where the airport was struck by the tsunami, was blessed with a missionary family that shared the gospel incessantly. One of the missionaries in question, an older American who came to Japan about a half century ago, spoke Japanese fluently and was not ashamed of the gospel. He often drove around his vehicle around his town with a loudspeaker, preaching the truth to anyone who would listen. Whoa! Yeah. And to those who otherwise wouldn't listen. It's like his own future mobile in mm -hmm. in there. He says, uh, in his work for in this work for a time he faced a certain amount of police harassment, but later he was called a true Christian by the police themselves. In this mm -hmm. life we will never know how many of those who lost their lives in the walls of water cried out like the thief on the cross to the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering the words of the missionary as the Holy Spirit brought it back to their thoughts. Hopefully a whole bunch. I hope a whole bunch too. Yeah. Says I don't mean to presume that any of the members of that missionary have lost their lives, but it's possible one, some, or many of them have. At this moment, there are tens of thousands who are homeless, broken-hearted, and wondering when help will come. I took a hot shower last night after eating a good meal. He says there are many wondering when they will sleep again in a heated building. He says I slept in a warm bed. He says there are many who were separated from children or parents. He says I could hear my children snoring last night. He says there were many who lost wives or husbands. Because my wife said good morning to me when she awoke this morning. All that has happened in Japan has happened with God's permission. Paul Washer says, There is not a rogue molecule in all the universe. I will not speculate whether it's judgment or blessing, 
but I have no doubt that the Lord will use this for much good. Please join your brothers and sisters in Japan in praying for a great harvest. Pray that the Lord would bring boldness to us so that we would preach Christ and Christ crucified to every soul we meet. Pray that we would use our hands, our mouths, and our resources to live out the good news. Your brother in Christ, Nathan. Pretty cool. Uh, brother Nathan, we'd like to hear from you yeah. since then. I'd love um, to go to Germany. Germany. I'd love to go to Japan. Yeah. Well, all yeah. right. Yeah. All right. We're, we'll pray for them when we conclude here. Can I just get two two last emails done and call it a day? Yeah. Is that okay? It'll be real quick. Uh, I mean, we're not, we don't have a time constraint. Yeah, no. We're just getting a long on the tooth. People are getting yeah. weary of us. This is from uh, Sonny, Brother Sonny. He says, Dear Doc and Tom, I have to let you know both that while I was always impressed with all your past shows, this week's show actually surprised me with how strong it started right off the bat. With the Dutro affair and Franklin cover-up references huh. into false flag and false Christian wolf and sheep's clothing types like James Woolsey and the gang. It's amazing where real information will take someone when one does a little research on their own instead of blindly taking the mainstream media's word for it. And that leads me to my next point. I know how much uh, you all valued having your show on that Christian radio station, but I'm here to tell you that I found you on iTunes by accident, and I've been getting your shows every week ever since, and I've noticed that your shows have gotten much stronger last several shows. It seems to me that you've quietly taken off the gloves and found a new groove. Me likes it. <laughs> uh, keep up the great work, and thank you so much, Sonny. Sonny, thank you for that shot of adrenaline, man. We get sort of tired of this kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Now, in our, now in our seventh year doing this stuff, guys like Sonny come along and sort of pump the air back in us, you know. Uh, this is from Patrick. Uh, this is our last email for today. It says, Dr. Future and Tom, been listening to your podcast for a few years. Your show from March 11th was the most informative show I have heard. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, after hearing your show on General Boykin, he spoke at our church. My, wow. my wife and I asked him about the Knights of Malta. He confirmed it. We were dumbfounded. Whoa, he just come right out and yeah, say it. He says, we go to a large Calvary Chapel in Southern California. Both of us have listened to you in, uh, your last podcast several times. There is so much information in it that we still find things we missed. I'm a fan of your interview shows, but your new shows with that much information are great. You guys have a great show. Keep up the good work. You two are a great team. Patrick. Preach it. Thanks, Brother Patrick. And let me just tell you, on uh, you'll be hearing in time a lot more about General Boykin. Uh, I mean, particularly his his work with uh, Rick Joyner. Uh, I love an interview I just found the other day where they're talking. And um, General Boykin says in the interview, he says, you know, he says, when we were there and formed the Delta Force, he said, we found that all the old doctrines of the Army didn't work. For so the we new threat, some new ones. we had to make new doctrines for it. And he says the church is going to have to do the same thing. He says we're going to have to get rid of the old doctrines of the church and come up with new ones. And he says uh, he says we're going to be involved in raising a new force of people we're sending out that will have a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other. Can't wait. Now that's not just sort of a you know vague metaphor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's pretty in your face. I hope that... Um, and there's more coming on that, too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I, I hope that none of that comes to pass. Me, too. Me, too. But heaven help us if it doesn't, because we've got Huckabee, we've got mm-hmm. uh, Gingrich, Palin, uh, Santorum, a bunch of these people eating out of their hand, insisting on associating with them. Yeah. 
Totally so they're right, being, yeah. they're being empowered by the religious right, by the conservative movement in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, political figures. Now Rick Perry's courting them. So it's I don't. Okay. I mean, I'm like you. I'm hoping it's a false alarm. Yeah. But I don't think we can assume that. No. Nope. Um, but something that we can assume is that Merv will come in and tell everyone how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, Um, before we say goodbye, can I say a quick prayer? I'm going to say a prayer for the people of Japan and also for our Futurians, too, Mm -hmm. if you don't mind. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, and I know we act silly a lot of times during our show. Lord, you know that these things are serious to us, Lord, and serving you is really what's the serious matter on our heart. And that we try to joke in levity because of our personalities, and it helps us to cope with some pretty dark, heavy stuff. And uh, our Futurian listeners say they understand that. But, Lord, we know it's very serious uh, when it comes to people's souls and... Um, the, the representation of your of your body, the, the church in this world, and how we represent you. Mm. Lord, we pray for the people of Japan. I pray for Brother Nathan and his family. I pray that you would use them as mighty tools for the people that they're around in Japan and mm. blessings, and uh, they would be Jesus to those people. Lord, I just pray that you would help get the people of Japan back on their feet. Lord, that you'd get them back in a secure environment. But, but mostly that, that somehow this would work for good for the spiritual needs that they have, their people as a whole. They're a wonderful people. They're very industrious, extremely hardworking. Lord, and, and I know they would make wonderful additions to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Lord, it would be a pleasure to have the more of them as brothers and sisters, Lord, uh, mm-hmm. to dwell with eternally and uh, to enjoy uh, who you made them, uh, Lord, as you created them. Lord, I just pray for them that they would find that. I pray for all our Futurians out there. I pray for our youth group in Ontario, Lord, that's trying to contend for the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I pray for Dean, Lord, and as he finds ways to share with people that he cares about and respects. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray for all of our listeners who are asking questions, Lord, uh, whether it's figures that are preaching or at their church and trying to get to the bottom of it. Or, or or any of our listeners, Lord, who are taking action, Lord, to try to be salt and light in a positive way, in a loving way, but uh, to be as innocent as doves but shrewd as wolves, Lord. We pray that we'd have both attributes in the proper place and fashion, Lord. Pray for wisdom for our listeners. We pray that they wouldn't be uh, despondent, Lord, by the overwhelming behaviors, not only of the world, but just even of the our, our Christian people here in America that we are puzzled over. Lord, I pray they wouldn't get discouraged. And same thing for Tom and me. Mm-hmm. That we wouldn't either. That we would hear a, a fresh voice from you and and feel strengthened and emboldened. That we'd hear clearly what you would have us to do, what to leave alone. Uh, Lord, that none of us would be stumbling blocks for, for other people. 
uh, but only stepping stones to you. And I ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, it's time for us to say goodbye, brother. Any last words you want to say? Oh, I know what you're referring to. You know, you know, uh, our our friend we were just reading here talked about how uh, he felt like we're a little bolder in what we're doing now since we're off mm-hmm. the Christian radio, mm-hmm. you know. And I guess we'll exercise a little bit of that here as we close the show, uh, doing something a little different. I don't know what's coming over us, but. Uh, earlier today, I had uh, an interesting email sent from Brother Evan, one of our long-term Futurians here, mm-hmm. that uh, he, he sent a um, a link to a song that I wasn't familiar with, but evidently you have some, some oh, background with yourself. Long, I'm the one down in the new. So. And it was so, how do I say it, strange, different, that Unique, I figured maybe our, entertaining. Fu- our Futurians should have the same uh, pleasure of it that I did when I first heard mm-hmm. it. So... Uh, y'all want to give your credit or blame to Brother Evan out there, your Futurian brother out there who sent this. Uh, we're going to close instead of our regular theme music with a, uh, a song. Um, well, the, 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 the foundation of the song is, uh, the one, the only Miss Christy Lane, uh, mm-hmm. singing a great hymn, How Great Thou Art. But, um, there's a little extra song styling added to it by someone who is well known and beloved by many by the name of Shuby Taylor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this will probably put you in a f- good frame of reference for the week ahead. Mm-hmm. And so uh, until we all get together next week, uh, Tom, you now have some more stuff to talk about, right? shrubby Well, until then, uh, we will pick it up. But keep up the faith, brothers and sisters. We love you so much. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Oh, Lord, my God, little bit, little love it. Let's <laughs> go. 
Let's go, 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 let's go